Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, that we can read your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, think about this question of whether we can trust the Gospels or not, that you will uh, give us confidence to know that we can. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever played the telephone game? Uh, Growing up, you probably would have called it Chinese whispers. Uh, In the telephone game, someone creates a message. They whisper this message to the person sitting next to them. That person then whispers what they think they heard to the person next to them. And then the next person does the same thing. And so on and on until you get to the last person who then receives the message, stands up and tells everyone what they thought the message was. And very rarely is it ever the same message. Uh, Just to demonstrate this, I've got a cartoon up on the... It says, uh, we're in a recession. It might be a smart time to buy. Buy, buy, are you leaving? Did she get fired? Layoffs, this is depressing. Depression, we're in a depression. Sell, sell. So the, 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 the beginning message is buy, the end message is sell. Uh, sometimes the message gets through. Sometimes the message doesn't. Have you ever heard someone say that they think the Bible is a huge telephone game? Something happened 2,000 years ago and then it got passed on and changed and passed on and changed and passed on and changed so that what we have in our Bibles today is the wrong message changed hundreds of times over thousands of years. I came across this Reddit feed this week. The feed was titled, The Bible is literally just the world's worst game of Chinese whispers. And the author of the feed wrote, I feel like religion in general and perhaps the Bible specifically, started out as one thing and then over the past 2,000 years has been altered or enhanced to make it sound better or appeal to more people. And that's a a popular view of the Bible. High-profile atheist Richard Dawkins writes in his book The God Delusion that the Gospels are ancient fiction, just like the Da Vinci Code. Or French philosopher Michael Onfrey suggests that the Gospels were the improbable story built on the wind. For all these claims, though, the Bible is still surprisingly popular. Apart from 2007, when Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows was the best-selling book that year, the Bible has been the best-selling book every year on record. And it looks like that trend is only increasing. The Bible is still popular. And in an age where the Bible is so easily accessible online for free, the the fact that the Bible is still selling more and more copies says that people are still interested. And so we have these claims that the Bible is just an elaborate story twisted and changed through the passing of time. But at the same time, the Bible is the most popular book in the world. Many people read it. Many people stake their lives on it. But should they? Maybe the billions of people worldwide reading the Bible should put it in the same category as one of Grimm's fairy tales and forget about it. Can we trust the Bible? Well, to answer that question today, we're actually going to look at a slightly narrower question, which is can we trust the Gospels? The Gospels record for us the history of Jesus. Without the Gospels, we don't have access to Jesus' life, to his teaching to his miracles, to his birth or his death and his resurrection. Without the Gospels, we don't have Christianity. 
Now, it's probably not going to come as a huge surprise to you that we in a church who are called people of the book are going to answer, yes, we think that we can trust the Gospels. But stick with us, and we're going to explore historically why we can say yes to this question. Why we can trust them not on blind faith, but actually on solid historical evidence. And so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is how they are human written words. And to start with, the first reason we can trust the Gospels is that they were recorded for us by eyewitnesses. By people who were there. By people who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who were taught by Jesus, who saw his life and his miracles, his death and his resurrected body. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 Uh, Verse 16, which we just had read out for us, says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now we learn in verses 17 to 18 that Peter is talking specifically about the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, recorded in Mark 9, if you wanted to look that up later, where Jesus shone with heavenly glory and God himself confirmed who Jesus was. The voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love with him. With him I am well pleased. And they were there. They were eyewitnesses. They they saw this. They heard the voice. Uh, If you ask someone who went to the World Cup Games earlier this year, what was it like to be there? They could tell you what it was like when Australia won their first match. Or when Ronaldo walked off, not celebrating with his team after their 6-1 victory. You could find out about the energy of the crowds, the excitement. And you'd have no reason to doubt them, would you? Because they were there. They could tell you. Or the writers of the Gospels, they were there. Uh, Richard Borkham, in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, traces each of the Gospels back to the Apostles and shows that they were eyewitness accounts or based on eyewitness accounts. Now, you might be asking, okay, so it was based on eyewitnesses, but how do we know that the eyewitnesses just didn't make it all up? Well, we have four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were written in a time when they could easily be fact-checked. If Peter was making it up, Luke would have said, hang on a second, something sounds a little fishy and gone and asked one of the other apostles. And the fact that we have four eyewitnesses, four gospels with slightly different accounts and details actually testifies to the authenticity that this event happened. You would expect that different eyewitnesses would recount the same event slightly different. I imagine that the Argentinian fans remember the game where they beat Australia 2-1 very differently from the Australian fans who were there. Same game, but if you ask them to recount what happened, I'm sure they would give you a very different story. But the events would be the same. Now, some people write off these eyewitness accounts by saying, well, they had a bias, which they did. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 acknowledges it. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. They're writing with a purpose. They're writing so that we would acknowledge Jesus. 
But this bias doesn't mean that what they've written is not true. In fact, the gospel writers have included details that aren't very glamorous at all, like the disciple who ran away naked when Jesus was arrested in the Gospel of Mark, or Peter who denied Jesus three times, or that it was a woman or women instead of men who discovered the empty tomb. You know, lots of small details like this show us that what they recorded actually happened. So the Gospels were recorded by eyewitnesses. And the next reason we can trust the Gospels is they were written down. Now, there would have been verbal retellings of the story. I can imagine many nights where people would have been keen to hear the stories of Jesus. They gathered around the dinner table or the campfire while someone recounted how Jesus had healed the ten lepers or cleared the temple of the money changers or heard in detail about how Jesus was falsely accused at trial and then was sentenced to be crucified. It was a verbal culture. It's how stories were passed on. But it is not how the gospel were passed on. See, right from the beginning, the Gospels were written down. Uh, Luke, in his opening words, writes, he sought to write an orderly account. He investigated, he spoke to people who were there, he wrote down what happened. See, writing it down increases its reliability because it can be passed on word for word. If I'm asked to pass on a message, you want to make sure I write that message down because I know that I'm going to forget what that message was in about five minutes. Well, so with the Gospels. It was written down so it could be passed on. And they weren't written, these Gospels weren't written down hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus lived. No, they were written 30 to 60 years after Jesus lived. Now, they're conservative dates and there's a, a table up here. Uh, there's good evidence that backs up these early dates. Uh, but even if you take less conservative dates, which is under the column called liberal dating there, the Gospels are still only written 60 to 90 years after Jesus' death. In history, that's no time at all. Uh, to give you a guide, the best evidence that we have for Caesar was written 300 years after his death. With Jesus, we have 30 to 60 years. Now, the third reason we can trust the Gospels historically is their transmission through history. Uh, the beginning of the early church was one of quick growth uh, because of persecution. And the Gospels and the other letters which make up our New Testament were valuable to Christians. Uh, not because they were worth lots of money, but because they taught the Christians how to follow Jesus, how to live for Jesus as his follower. And so what happened is, is they made lots of copies, lots and lots of copies. And it's because they made lots of copies that we can actually be sure that what we have in our Bibles is what was originally written. Uh, today we have 93 manuscripts. Uh, a manuscript is uh, the old writing, uh, you know, the, the thing that, they, that would, have the, would be written in the original language, the Greek uh, we have 93 manuscripts from the New Testament that were within 300 years of the date of authorship. There are 5,856 New Testament Greek manuscripts and there are 18,130 early translations of the New Testament. That's 25,000 pieces of evidence. Uh, just to give a comparison, just to show you how much evidence we have for the New Testament, 
Our history of Julius Caesar is based on 12 manuscripts. And the earliest of those manuscripts is dated 900 years after the event. Whereas our earliest New Testament manuscript called P25 is dated at 125 AD, less than 100 years after the event of Jesus. Our Stanley Porter and Andrew Pitts write, when compared with other works of antiquity, the New Testament has far greater numerical and earlier documentation than any other book. Most of the available works of antiquity have only a few manuscripts that attest to their existence, and these are typically much later than their original date of composition. So that is not uncommon for the earliest manuscript to be dated over 900 years after the original composition. There is a crazy amount of evidence for the New Testament, that what we have in our New Testament is what was originally written. Uh, to put it another way, if you were to get all of the manuscripts of the New Testament and you were going to line them up, the line for the New Testament would be 1.6 kilometres long. That's like running from Swim Beach to the pump house. If you were going to get the, the, the evidence for the average classical uh, historical person and put them in a line, 1.2 metres. There is so much evidence for the New Testament. And all these copies of all these manuscripts are good things that give us confidence because while it might be easy to imagine one person sitting there creatively making things up or creatively changing what the New Testament says to, to suit their needs, there were multiple people, multiple churches making multiple copies. And say you were to take all of these manuscripts and you were to put them all together and compare them. Well, no surprises, that's actually what happened. This is my Greek New Testament from my time at Bible College. They'd give you this in first year. And you take it along to College Chapel and you pretend to read the New Testament in Greek as they did the Bible reading because you didn't know enough Greek in first year to actually be able to do that. But in this... And this is what our NIV Bibles is based off. And you probably can't, If you can't see it, you can have a look later. Uh, but you've got the Greek text, which is what our NIV Bibles are based off. But down here you've got all these footnotes. And what these footnotes tell us is every manuscript variation... They've compiled all those 25,000 different manuscripts and you can see what the variations are. Just to give you an example, uh, our reading today in 2 Peter, in verse 17, uh, some of the manuscripts have the Greek word the, before God the Father. And that is the type of difference that is fairly representative of most of the differences between the manuscripts. Most of the differences are word order differences, there are some grammatical differences, some spelling differences, but that make up 95% of the differences between all the different manuscripts we have. See, the New Testament copies that we have were not carelessly copied, they were carefully copied because the churches wanted God's word as it was given to them. Uh, of the, there are some verses... Uh, that have more substantial differences. Uh, but even in our NIV, where there are substantial differences, the NIV will actually give you an alternate reading for that verse. But we can be confident because no one major Christian doctrine historically rests 
on one of these verses. We can have great confidence that what is in our Bible today is what was originally written. The telephone game theory of the Gospels just doesn't hold up. It's debunked. It didn't happen like that. Joe didn't pass it on to Susie, who then changed it a bit and then passed it on to Rachel, who didn't remember some of it and then passed it on to Logan, who then passed it on to Eva with his own little twist. That is not how it happened. The historical evidence points very much to the fact that what was written 2,000 years ago is what we have in our Bibles today. And I've given you only the briefest snapshot of the historical evidence. I, I definitely wasn't clutching for straws to talk about things to talk about with the reliability of the Gospels this morning. So if you're still not convinced, do some extra reading on the reliability of the Bible and you'll see that the evidence is overwhelming. We can trust the Gospels historically. But we actually have another reason that we should trust the Gospel. And it's because they're not only human-written words, but they are God-written words. If we have a look back at 2 Peter chapter 1 again, in verse 19... Uh, Peter writes, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter says the prophetic message, and he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures at this point, but he's saying that they are completely reliable. But he doesn't do what we have just done and look back through history and look at how the Old Testament was dutifully kept and copied, uh, which we could do and that would be worth doing. But no, the reason that Peter gives for it being completely reliable, in verse 20 he writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. The words in the Bible are not simply human-inspired creations. It's not like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which was created by J.K. Rowling, who thought up the idea on a train. No, the Bible comes from the creator of the universe. Have a look at verse 21. Prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is talking about the Old Testament at this point, but we can apply this truth to the Gospels. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read, All scripture is God-breathed. So each gospel is written by a different person. If you read them, you see it. You, you see that Mark is shortened to the point, and Luke includes lots of details. John takes a different approach entirely. We can see the human character of the, the different gospels. But as they wrote, as the gospels were penned, God was inspiring the words. Peter says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God worked by his Spirit so that what was written by the human authors were the exact words that he wanted them to write. And God's Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, which means the Spirit's inspired words are God's words. And that means they are completely reliable. It means we ought to take what they say about Jesus seriously. 
In 2 Peter 1, verse 17 and 18, we see the Gospels testified how Jesus is God's Son, loved by the Father. The apostles witnessed his majesty. It is through the word of the Scriptures that the morning star, which is just a way of describing Jesus in this passage, rises in our hearts. It is through the, the word of God that we learn of our salvation how we can be saved. So when Mark records Jesus saying, repent and believe the good news, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we should listen. They are God's words to us. When John writes, I write these things to you so that you will believe, that is God's writing to us. We should pay attention. God loved us so much, he sent his son into this world to save us from our sin. And so as we read and study the scriptures, they will point us to Jesus to the salvation that is found in him. See, it's not enough to just know historically that the New Testament is accurate. We then have to take seriously what it says. As it says in verse 19, we have to pay careful attention. How do we pay careful attention to God's word written for us? Well, in our day and age, we we will read it. We will listen to it. We will meditate on it. And we'll do it regularly. You know, in times gone by, getting access to a Bible was hard. A community might have one Bible to share between them. But we don't live in that time. We can access the Bible for free online anytime we want. We can purchase copies at a reasonable price. Our problem is that today we are too distracted too busy to set aside good time to read God's word. We're more likely to open the online news or our Facebook feed before we are open the word of God. But we would do well to pay attention to the word of God. As we draw near to the end of the year, maybe now is a good time to reflect on your Bible reading patterns. Maybe think about how you'd like to change them in 2023 so that you will be someone who pays careful attention to God's word, so that you will live according to God's word. Like the psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Let God's word be your lamp and your light as it shines us Jesus so very clearly. Let God's word show you how to live for God in our mucked up world. We often want a divine revelation as a dream or a vision to just show us how to live or to show us exactly what to do. But God has already spoken to us. He's given us his word. And God's word does help. It's a light. It's a lamp. It shows us how to live for God. It shows us how to love him and love our neighbor. And it shows us to know the salvation that he offers us in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you don't know peace with God, if you don't know the joy of having Jesus, the morning star, rise in your hearts, now is a good time to hear his word to us. Now is a good time to turn to Jesus, to to pay careful attention. Because when we come to Jesus, when we confess our sin before him and acknowledge that he is God's son, Jesus will forgive us. Jesus will bring us into relationship with God and give us eternal peace and joy. So can we trust the Gospels? 
Well, the answer is a resounding yes. We can and should trust the Gospels, but we should do more than that. We should be like Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the 16th century reformer, and when he was brought before the authorities in the Diet of Worms, uh, brought before the emperor, and he was told to recant his views about the word of God, he said to have replied, Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience would be neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand, I can do no other. Martin Luther was willing to risk his life for the sake of his beliefs in God's word because he knew that God's word was special. He knew why the Bible is the best-selling book today. It's not just human words, but God's words. He knew he wasn't standing on something that was just as spurious as a game of telephone. No, he knew it was God's word. He knew that God's word trumped the words of the Pope or the Emperor. He knew that God's word was speaking to him and to his world and to our world with the message that we have sinned, but God loved us enough to send his son so that we could be saved by his grace. He knew it was completely reliable. He staked his life on it. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that your word is completely reliable and help us to be people who pay attention to it, who receive the salvation that you offer us in Jesus Christ and to stake our lives on it, to believe it, to live by it. We ask, Lord, that your word would be the light to our path and a lamp for our feet. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.